today. Titus chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. I'm going to read 10 verses, then we'll pray, and uh, we'll get started together, okay? But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Father, we, we come to you, Lord, asking for the illumination of your Holy Spirit. God, we come asking that you would reveal truth to us and that, God, you would give us faith to believe. Father, we are asking today that the knowledge of truth would lead to godliness. Father, we pray that you would root the sin out of our lives and that you would bring us into righteousness, into good works, into Christ-likeness in every way. Father, we, we pray that we might really live. We pray that our lives would be an advertisement of the gospel. Father, we ask that you would keep us from dishonoring you or your word in any way. Father, please help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Really, all of chapter one was about leaders, uh, about pastors, elders, uh, teachers. And, and so, so now in chapter two, Paul turns his attention uh, to everybody else, uh, and really still talking to Titus, the, the pastor, elder of the congregation, um, but, but talking to him about how he should instruct the rest of the congregation, all right? So, so chapter 1 was really uh, pastor elders, Titus appointing them, uh, what kind of people they're to be, what kind of lives they're to live, what they're to teach, uh, and now he is turning his attention to these new believers at Crete. And remember, this is a tough place. Um, th this was a hard, uh, hard soul for the gospel. If you remember in chapter 1, verse 12, uh, he quotes one of their own prophets, one of their own statesmen, who, who bragged about how Cretans are, are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This is a kind of a lying, rebellious, loose living culture. And, and so it's cool to see how the gospel is coming into this place and it's changing the lives of these people. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, he tells Titus, you're, you're, to, be, you're to teach sound doctrine, uh, healthy doctrine. You're to teach the truth about Jesus and about sin and about grace and about gospel. And, and then... He, 
as this progresses, you see he's not only teaching the truth about those things, but he's giving instruction in what kind of life flows out of believing these truths. So if you believe these truths about Jesus and about grace and about gospel and about sin and about wrath and about judgment, if you believe that, then how's your life look? Like, like what? Well, how do you raise your kids, and, and what kind of parent are you, and what kind of business guy are you? And like, like, how does that actually live itself out of your life? If you remember, Titus is really big on, on truth producing a certain kind of life. We, we saw it from the very first sentence in, in this book where Paul is giving his own testimony in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, elect and the knowledge of truth which accords with godliness, okay? So the knowledge of truth always brings godliness. It always brings a particular practical kind of life, all right? Now, now, real quickly, I, I, I just want to lay a, a theological foundation that that must be true, okay? In other words, I, I don't believe there's really exceptions to that. So believing the truth changes your life. Okay, it keeps you from sin. Now, why, why is that true? Okay, let me give you a real quick bunch of reasons why that's true. First of all, because everybody who believes the truth is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So when you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, and the Holy Spirit of God is not going to leave you alone. Okay, he, he, he's not going to allow you to live in unrepentant sin. In 1 John chapter 3, in verse 9... It says this, it says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Now, John is not saying that believers don't sin, all right? If we read the first chapter of, of 1 John, uh, he, he says, look, if you say that you, you're, not, you're not a sinner, that you don't sin, then you're lying, okay? Uh, so we're, we're not perfect this side of glory, all right? But what he does clearly say is a believer cannot continue in unrepentant, habitual sin. I mean, there, there's, there's the Spirit of God is inside of you, and He's going to bring conviction. He's going to bring misery when you sin, all right? Psalm 32, David talks about his own sin. He says in verse 3, when I kept silent about his sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up like the heat of summer. And James chapter 2, we looked at this last week, in James chapter 2 verse 17, it tells us that if you believe, if you have faith, that you'll have works, that that faith will manifest itself in a certain kind of living, all right? And, and so what I'm, what I'm telling you is there is a strong theological foundation for what Paul is teaching here in the book of Titus, that knowledge of the truth, believing the truth is going to result in a certain kind of life. Okay, a visible holiness, an above reproach kind of life, good works. All right. Now, the reason that that Paul is 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 leveraging this this morning is that the word of God would not be reviled. In other words, he says, "Man, as you believe the truth, it ought to result in this certain kind of life. And and if it doesn't result in this certain kind of life, guess what? You're a bad advertisement for the gospel. Like like you." The Word of God, people are going to look at your life and they're going to look at what you say you believe and, and, and the Word of God is going to be trashed because of your life, right? There, there's three so that's in this passage that I want you to pay attention to, all right? 
Um, so, so the first one occurs in verse 5. All right, so he says they're to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, um, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that, okay, or so that the word of God may not be reviled, all right? So in other words, your life ought to be a certain way, it ought to, live a, it ought to look a certain way, you ought to have the attributes of Christ, you ought to have the attributes of godliness in you so that the word of God would not be reviled. Now go to verse 8, all right, in, in verse 8. It says, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So he says, you, 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 this truth ought to bring about a certain kind of life in you, so that the enemies of the gospel, well, they, they, you take away all their ammunition. They, they're not able to say, well, yeah, but look at this guy. Look at how he lives. You know, he says all this stuff about Jesus, but look at his life, okay? And then the final one is in verse 10. Okay, he says, not pilfering, showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. All right, this one kind of goes the other way. He says, you ought, you ought to live a life of godliness so that you actually adorn the gospel. You guys know what it means to adorn. Some of you did some adorning this morning. Some of you didn't. We, 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 know, we know who did and who didn't, right? Um, and so, so if you did some adorning this morning, you, you tried to make yourself look presentable, right? You, you combed your hair. You trimmed up your beard. You put on some makeup. You uh, put on nicer clothes. You, you wiped the, the crusties out of your eyes. And uh, you, 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 you did some adorning, right? You, you made yourself pretty or beautiful or presentable, okay? And, and what he's saying here is your life is the adorning of the gospel. So, so you ought to believe the truth, and if you believe the truth, it ought to begin to change your life, and as it changes your life, you make the gospel beautiful. You make the gospel attractive. You make it appealing. You make it presentable. You're an advertisement of the gospel. Now, there, there seems to be certain characteristics that Paul is especially concerned about, okay, uh, that they would adorn the gospel, especially especially vivid displays of how the Word of God changes a person. And, and I think one of these, okay, we don't have time to look at all these details, but one of these definitely is self-control. It's mentioned three times, directly to older men, uh, younger women, and younger men, okay? If you'll notice that in verse 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, okay? Uh, if you go to uh, the younger women, train the younger women that they love their husbands and children, that they be self-controlled. That's verse 5. Pure, working at home. Then you go to the younger men. Likewise, you're, this is verse 6, I believe. Um, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Okay? Three times he mentions self-control. The only one he doesn't mention it for is the older women. Okay? But actually, you're not off the hook. I think he does mention it. Uh, I think he just mentions it in specifics. He says, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. In other words, that they be self-controlled with their words and with their drink. Okay? So, so really, you could say four times here he mentions this issue of a believer who embraces the truth of the word of God being self-controlled. Now why? Why, why? why would that be such a big deal? Well, listen, if you are controlled by your passions, if you cannot control your anger, if you cannot control your lust, if you, if you do not guard your words, you're going to ruin your witness, right? I mean, self-control is, is that thing that keeps your, your flesh from coming out, right? 
It is ruling your passions by the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. It is ruling your passions by what you believe about Christ. And if you don't have that, then eventually you're going you're gonna to let loose with your passions and you're going to bring shame to the Word of God. Man, maybe the most heartbreaking thing that I have read in the last 20 years is, is, and he's dead now, but Ravi Zacharias, man, his carelessness, and I mean, if all the reports are true, and it seems that I keep waiting for some help, and maybe this is not true, what shame has come upon the gospel because a man was not self-controlled. So, our lives are important as bearing witness to the beauty of the gospel, to the transformation life that comes about through Jesus, okay? Now, this passage of Scripture is about discipleship, okay? It it is about helping people grow into believing the Word of God and then living that out in their practical lives, okay? So it's about men discipling other men, teaching them to know and love God and to obey all that Jesus commanded. It's about women discipling other women and teaching them to know and love God and to obey all that Jesus commanded. And you'll notice there is no out clause in this, okay? So he addresses older men, younger men, older women, and younger women, all right? Now, if you find yourself in a different category than that, then I guess you're off the hook, okay? So if you're here today and you're not an older man or a younger man or an older woman or a younger woman, then uh, I guess you cannot be a disciple maker, all right? If you're a believer and you don't fall into one of those categories, then hey, just resolve that you're going to be a Christian consumer, you're going to come to church, you're going you're gonna to get, and you're never going to give, okay? But I'm assuming that if you are not in one of those categories, you're an alien, okay? And so I don't really know what to do with you anyway. And so that's probably fine, all right? But otherwise, everybody else is in one of those categories, And so you're to be a disciple maker. Now in discipleship, please understand here, there's two things that Paul is teaching. He's he's teaching, first of all, you're to be before you are to teach. Or you're to be and you are to teach. Or you're to be which flows into teaching. Okay? So there's there's two things there though. Do you see that? There's to be and then there's to teach. All right? And and he covers both of, of these things. All right, in, in, this, in this deal. Now, if you're an older man here today and, and all you have in the to be category is you've got wisdom about, you're a believer, you're, you're a follower of Jesus, but, but basically what you have is wisdom about business and investments and ranching and real estate and mechanics and you, you know how to, and you know how and you have loved one woman for 40, 50, 60 years. Listen, you got a lot to offer, all right? You, you, you have a lot to offer. A young man will be blessed by your investment in him. Okay, but what I'm really fired up about and concerned about and want this morning is if in your to be column, that contains years of obeying Jesus, 
years of advancing the kingdom and applying the word of God to the complexity of life and then the complex situations that people find themselves in. If in your to-be column you have fought the good fight and you've finished the race and you've kept the faith and you've suffered for your faith and you've hoped in God through tragedy and you've persevered in good works, wow, we need you, older man, older woman. Older men are to be certain things. Let's look at it, okay? So verse two, older men are to be, there's the to be, or they are to be, okay, this is is before we get to what they're to teach, but they are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness, okay? Now, for the sake of time, I am going to summarize sober-minded, dignified. We've already talked about self-control. So I'm gonna gonna summarize sober-minded, dignified, as being serious about spiritual things, all right? That, that, that's, that's what I'm gonna just group those. You, you're to be serious about spiritual things, you're to be an honorable person, and then you're to be sound in three things. And these are really important, okay? This is the to be, okay? You're to be sound in faith, okay? In other words, you are a man who's believing the word of God and acting upon it. All right? You're a man who opens up the scriptures and, and you read what the Bible says about you and about the kingdom and about people and about sin and about judgment and about the gospel, and you are responding in obedience. That, that's, that's what faith is. You're, 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 belie- you're hearing the word of God, you're believing the word of God, and you are responding in obedience to the word of God. You're doing hard things because you believe the promises of God. You're pursuing Jesus, you're seeking Jesus, you're worshiping Jesus because you believe that Jesus is everything. You believe that he'll do everything he says he's gonna do and he is everything he says that he is. Man, I love to see men who are convinced that Jesus is better than anything and they actually live that out and you can see it in their life. Okay, so you're to be sound in faith, okay? Number two, you're to be sound in love, all right? Older men need to live a life of love. Loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving a wife as Christ has loved the church. Loving your neighbor as yourself. And that should be visible. It should be visible to younger men. You know, I was asking myself this question. How does an older man demonstrate love to a younger man? Right, so the younger man's looking at the older man. He's looking at his life. And and, and what he should see in that older man is he should see, man, that guy loves God, and that guy loves me. Now, what does that look like? What does that look like for an older man to demonstrate clearly to a younger man that, that man, I, man, I love you in the Lord? Well, it could be a lot of things, but I'll tell you what it's not. It is not complaining about younger men. It's not grumbling about younger men. It's not being critical about younger men. I always said I would never do that, and now I got old and I'm doing it, and, and, and I don't want to do that. Like, I'm... I'm just, I'll just tell you right now, today I'm stopping. I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the old guy that complains about the young guy. Why? Because I'm supposed to be sound in love. And, and so to be sound in love, okay, I, I need to demonstrate clearly that I love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love Emma as Christ has loved the church. And I love my neighbor as myself and my brother as Christ has loved me. And, and one of the ways I want to do that is by not complaining about the younger guys. Now, how else might I do that? Well, I think I, I, I need, and if you're an older guy, I, I, I don't know what I am. I thought I was a younger guy, but now I'm a grandpa, and so it seems like I'm an older guy. And so, 
You know, that is kind of hard to figure out. Are you an older guy or a younger guy? And I guess it just depends on who you're with, right? So if, you're, if I'm with a guy in his 20s or 30s, I'm an older guy. And if, if I'm with Billings, I'm, I'm a younger guy, you know? Um, I, I guess that's, that's how, we, how we figure that out. You know, it just depends on who you're with. Um, give guys your time. Be interested in them, in their lives, in their families. Care about their success, right? Older men, I, I don't think we can pull this off unless we clearly demonstrate, man, I, I'm, I'm interested in your life. Man, I'm interested in your little family. I'm interested in your, your marriage and, and how you're doing. I'm interested in your business. And I'm interested in you. I'm interested in you. Give young guys your encouragement and affirmation. And, and by the way, this, this is all in the scriptures. I'm not like just making things up. Like th- this is the way that we love people. One of the verses we've been teaching the kids that you guys are going to start with next week is Philippians 2, 3 and 4. It says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's Jesus' mind. That's the way Jesus lived. Like he... He sought out the interests of others. So I'm just telling you, however that looks, that, that's what it means to love, to, lo- to show love to a younger guy in the Lord. When they're talking to you, when you're talking to them, man, your intent should be to bless them. You, you should be willing to go out of your way to help. You should be willing to go out of your way to pray for them. You should be willing to go out of your way to lend a hand. You should be willing to get, help them out of a jam when they need helped out. So an older man should be sound in love. He should be sound in faith. And then what's the third thing there? He should be sound in steadfastness. Great Greek word, hupomene. It it means the capacity to bear up under difficulty, okay? This is a load carrier. That's what it is. We We need old men who are load carriers, who are patient in endurance. Man, we've got some guys in our church who have carried some heavy things a long time. And you know what's beautiful? Is that most of you don't know it. That's what's beautiful. Is you don't know what they're carrying. You you don't know the difficulty they've carried in their marriage, the difficulty they've carried in their family, the difficulty they've they've walked through in their careers, and, and, and they've done it for Jesus. They've done it for his sake. They've done it trusting that Jesus won't let them down. They have stayed in that hard, I love this, they have stayed in that hard situation. The only reason is because they're convinced Jesus won't let them down. Man, that's beautiful. I wish I could name those guys for you, but I can't. We need guys who have some miles on their faith. Man, here's where the value of a Caleb comes in. Man, you know, in the the Old Testament, imagine the spiritual experience of a guy like Caleb. You know, he's in Egypt as a slave. He's there the night of the Passover, right? He walks through the Red Sea on dry land. He's at the foot of Mount Sinai when Moses is getting the Ten Commandments. He's one of the 12 who spies out the land. He's one of two, he and Joshua, who said, guys, we can do it, let's go. And everybody else was against him. And they were the kind of men who would stand up against a nation and say, you're wrong, we believe God. 
He's a guy who wandered in the wilderness because of other people's unbelief, other people's sin. He had 40 years of tent camping in the wilderness as his life is being spent by because of other people's sin, and he didn't complain about it, and he kept the faith. Now at 85, man, if you've ever read this in Joshua, so good. At 85, they're, they're back to the promised land again, and Caleb is ready to lead the charge. I just got to read it to you. Let me, let me read it to you. This is Joshua 14. Uh, I'm going to pick up uh, uh, verse 10. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old and I am still as strong today as I was the day when Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and for coming. And so now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on the day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim, that's the giants, were there. And their great fortified cities. I, here's, the, here's the phrase. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord has said. Man, give us some Caleb's. Get, give us some guys who, who at 85 are not, are not grumbling and griping about how everything is. They are standing at the edge of the promised land saying, follow me in, boys. Give us those men who trusted God and obeyed God for generations, guys who are not in spiritual retirement. We need guys who are seasoned spiritual veterans who are still zealous for the kingdom of God. We need guys who have not lost their zeal for spiritual battle in their 80s, guys who have weathered some rough stuff and carried some heavy loads and endured some struggles and difficulties all while trusting Christ. Man, that's, that's like having a tank. In, in battling spiritually for a church. Older women. Who are the older women in our church? Let me name them for you. No, that would be a mistake. Uh, you decide. Verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent, act like a sacred person, not a slanderer, the word slander there, by the way, is diabolos. You know what that word is, right? The devil. It, your eyes, when you tear people down with your words, you are in the Greek language a devil. Um, that's, that's what the devil does, man. He, he picks out people's faults and he exalts them and he spreads them and he talks about them. Older women, don't, don't be that. Don't, don't be a slander. Don't be a slave to much wine. Teach what is good. Older women who are going to focus on what's good, what blesses, what's useful to people, what produces fruit. Now, different seasons of life bring different challenges and temptations and responsibilities. So how, how, what are they to teach? So older women, you're given here some very specifics that you're to teach. And I think this is so beautiful because these would be things that would be very difficult for a pastor teacher like Titus to teach. Okay? So in other words, isn't God wise here in, in having the older women teach the younger women things about marriage and parenting, right? And, and I, I just think that's incredibly strategic, okay? 
Uh, and so he says, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, slaves of much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train, I, I love the word train. Okay, this is verse 4. Train the young women to love their husbands and children, be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, let, let, let's, let's talk about that a little bit, okay? Um, this, this would surely involve feeling affection for your family, okay? Uh, obviously, if you teach someone to love their husband and their children, that would involve affection. But, but, but here's the deal. I don't think women have trouble with that. Like, I don't know any women that are just like, man, I still like my kids, you know? Um, I just, you know, well, uh, sometimes, okay? Uh, but, not, I mean, in general, right, that, that's not the problem. So is, is that really what Titus, what Paul is telling Titus here? I think what Paul is telling Titus is, is not this affection thing. I think it is a practical agape love. It, it, is, it is the kind of love in the Bible where it says you do the right thing for somebody. Like, you, you step in and you give them what they need, all right? And so, so now you've got the complexities of how does a wife do that with a husband that maybe is a difficult husband or maybe a sinful husband or maybe, maybe, maybe how, how, do they, how does a mother love, a practically, love practically a rebellious child or an undisciplined child or a struggling child? That's a bigger issue, isn't it? That's, that's where an older woman needs to apply the word of God, right? Um, I mean, I, I, what does loving a child look like when you got three out of control toddler boys who are being cruel to each other? What, what does loving a child, a 14-year-old who has no friends look like? What does loving a 15-year-old who's depressed and who has all the wrong friends or who's rebelling against authority look like? What does it look like to use scripture to discipline your children? How do, how do you disciple children? How do you teach them the glorious deeds of the Lord? You see, pastor and elders should be communicating true to the congregation. The mature women should be reaching out to the young mothers to help them in those things. Talks about working at home. This is something that a lot of people trip over, and I, I don't really know why, because uh, if you read it carefully, it, it, it's not making this distinction that if you're a woman, you can't work outside the home. Um, the Proverbs 31 woman was selling real estate, and she was in the marketplace doing her thing. Um, the, the, what it literally says is, is that teach, teach her, let, let, let's read it, be self-controlled, pure, teach her to work at home. In other words, to be busy at home, to carry, literally that's what the word means, to be busy at home. In other words, take care of, take care of the home. That, older women teach younger women how to be a success in their home. There you go. Who doesn't want that? Who, what, what woman does not want to be a success with her husband and children, uh, with her household? I think, I think what this is saying, that the older women should teach the younger women how to, how to take care of their homes, something all mothers and wives want. Another thing that's a little bit of a, a, a trip, trip over in this one is this submissive thing. Be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. I, I get weary of it. I get weary of defending it in the Bible, and I don't even know why I feel like I have to, but our culture hates submissiveness uh, on every level. Uh, we don't want to be submissive to government. We don't want to be submissive to bosses. We don't want to be submissive. We don't. Our, we Americans in general just are the most independent. Get out of my face. Nobody's going to tell me anything to do, people, on the planet, okay? And so, man, we just choke on this. But you know what's so interesting to me? Everybody chokes on it when they're reading it. Everybody loves it when they see it, all right? Uh, isn't, isn't that interesting? Like, like whenever you see a couple and the guy is just cherishing his wife. I mean, he's just so tender with her, treats her exactly like Christ loved the church. And, man, she just looks up at him with this, I want you to lead our family and I want you to initiate spiritual conversation with our kids and I'm going to support you that. I'm behind you. Whenever people see couples like that, what do they do? They go, oh, man, I wish I had that. 
And then you say, all right, and the Bible talks about submissive. And people are like, no, I will not. You know, I mean, come on. What? Like, it, it's just so crazy. You know? Like whenever you see this harmony, this shalom in, in a family, people want it. And, and, and honestly, the word of God is honored. So when that couple, everybody knows they're believers. And man, the word of God is honored by that. Whenever you see a couple and there's a constant power struggle, you know, and they got in this huge knockdown drag out over, over something over dinner at Diardi's and stormed out. And, you know, the guy had to walk home because she had the keys. And, you know, like nobody looks at that and says, there you go. I want, all right, way to go. And that's, there's nothing appealing about that for the gospel. How's this training happen? This would apply to older men and to older women. How's this training happen? It happens through Scripture. Okay, so real quickly, we don't have time to unpack a lot of this. I want to get some other stuff. It happens absolutely through Scripture. It happens through you communicating the truths of God's Word to other people. It happens through modeling and imitation. We've already talked about this the last couple of weeks. Paul said, imitate me. Look at my life. Okay, he, he, is telling, he tells Titus here in verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. People need to know what does the Word of God look like? What does it look like? What is... The Bible commands self-control. What's that look like? They need to see you in a high-pressure situation, not lose your cool. They need to see you love somebody. Man, I, I've got great stories about this. I, I, there's a guy in our church. I saw him as he was being chewed out and, and, and threatened and just being, and he had gone out of his way for this guy. This guy was being the biggest jerk to him, and he is just calmly helping the guy. And, and he would not stop helping the guy the whole time the, the guy is just cussing him out. See, when you see that, you're like, oh, that's the word of God right there, living out. That's beautiful. Scripture, modeling, imitation. And then, here, here's the, the, the most difficult, the application of Scripture to life situations, which is, is really biblical wisdom. So, so it's taking... The scriptures and saying, okay, you've got a child who's doing this and you have this complicated situation and they're feeling this and they have this history and this baggage and, and all right, how do we take the word of God and how do we live that out in this situation? So those are the three, three ways I believe that older men, older women are to train younger men, younger women. Scripture, modeling, imitation, and the application of scripture to life relation, to life situations. All right. None of this happens without relationships. True? None of this happens without relationships. And, and here's the deal. Generations have gone by in the American church where this didn't happen. I guarantee you there's older men in this congregation right here today who said, no guy ever invested in me. And I am sorry for that. I think that has been of great damage to the church. But what I'm saying is it needs to, that needs to stop. Like, we, we need to make sure that doesn't happen again. Okay? Romans chapter 1, 11 and 12, how, how much do we have to read it? Uh, I, I can't believe that nobody has this not memorized yet for as long as we have pounded this. It's our small group verse. For I long to see you. This is Paul. I long to see you, okay? See you. 
that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you, is what he's saying, so that I can impart a spiritual gift to you. I can strengthen you. Verse 12, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Here's, here's Paul's own testimony about his life. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. There are people who are ready to share the gospel, but not their own life. We need, we need older men and older women who are ready to share their lives in discipling other people. How do you do this? I, I can't tell you how many times I've had guys ask me that. How, how do I get in this relationship? Pastor, we need some kind of formal mechanism where guys sign up, you know. Maybe we do. Like, like I, I'm, I'm willing to actually try that. Um, I, I tend to do, you guys know me, I tend to do almost everything organically. Uh, so that, that kind of thing, programs, I, I don't, I just, they're just not me. I'm not organized. Look at my desk. So maybe that's it. I don't know. Um, but I tend to do things more just organically, okay? But maybe we, if we need a program, let's start it. I, I'm fine with that. Um, but what I also know is that this can happen in so many different ways. Uh, let me give you some beautiful examples from my own children. Um, so my son-in-law, Stephen, um, one, of, one of the most exciting things about meeting him was I, I was asking about his friends because I'm, I'm super interested in, in young, I, I wanted my daughters to marry young guys that know how that know how to mentor, know how to disciple, have been discipled. And so I was asking about his friends. And, and, and first time I met him, he explains to me that he's living with this older gentleman in Washington, D.C., retired guy. He's been retired for over, over a decade, maybe a couple decades. I don't know how long. His name is Jake. And, and, and what this guy does is he, he's, he's at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. He picks out young guys that he feels like have great potential and then he invites them to rent a cheap room in his home. So he basically shares his home. He has a, a two-story house there uh, not far from the Capitol in D.C. I've been to it. And he, and he opens up his home and he invites them to share it for a couple years, whatever, however long they're kind of getting their start in D.C. And then while they're there, he, he, they go to church together. They, they, they share meals together. And he just, he just invests in them. I mean, how cool was it at, at Hannah and Stevens? Um, uh, engagement party when we're on the roof and there's all their friends are there and Jake, there's Jake, you know, uh, this guy that's generations older than them who is a close friend to both Hannah and Stephen. So man, what, what a creative way to just be always investing. There's a couple in Weatherford. I don't know them, but I'm deeply thankful for them because several of my kids have been deeply impacted by their life. Both Addie and Haddon uh, have eaten lunch at their home multitudes of times because every Sunday they invite every college student who goes to Trinity Baptist Church to their home for lunch. So they open up their home. They do not have a big home. That, that's the thing that Lincoln people, and I don't know how to get by with it, but we just trip over that. My home not big enough, okay? Let me tell you how they do it. They, they seat people in their little dining room. They put up some chairs in their kitchen. They put chairs in the living room with TV trays. They put chairs on the porch outside when it's good weather, and the college students sit everywhere, okay? That, that's how they pull this off. And, and they have anywhere from 10 to 20 college students there every Sunday, and they're investing in them. Man, how creative is that? So I, I guess what I'm telling you is this could, this could look like all kinds of things. Folks, we can do lots of preaching and teaching that won't get this done 
if we do not spend time cultivating relationships with younger, less mature believers and applying the word of God and biblical wisdom and visible modeling for those growing in their faith. And the, the devastating scenario is this. If we don't do this, number one, there's gonna be a bunch of people that are just left alone. Like they're just left trying to figure out marriage and trying to figure out conflict and trying to figure out their, their addictions and their sinful struggles by themselves. Okay, and then the other, the other not as devastating but pretty devastating scenario is, is that, that people will only, they'll only gravitate toward people in their exact same stage of life, right? So here's the obstacles. Let's talk about obstacles to this, okay? We'll, we'll be done. Number one, this gravitational pull of people that, that you want to hang around people just like you, okay? And, and there is absolutely something, man, all young mothers, they look for other young mothers, you know? They look for, when they're doing diapers, they look for diapers, you know? When they're doing soccer, they look for soccer. When I mean, that, that, that's just natural with everybody. Everybody does that. And listen, there's lots of times where you can get great counsel from a peer. I'm not saying that. I, absolutely. I've gotten great counsel from peers. Okay, but, but realize that when you're getting counsel from a peer, you're only getting counsel from somebody who can see 100 yards ahead, not someone who's seeing 100 miles ahead, right? I mean, it's just it's a vantage point issue. I mean, there, there's this great story in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 12, about a guy named Rehoboam. Rehoboam was Solomon's son, all right? Solomon dies, Rehoboam takes over this more prosperous, richer, more successful kingdom than has ever existed in Israel, right? Solomon, the richest, wisest man that's ever lived, was his daddy, okay? He inherits this kingdom, all right? First order of business, all of Israel comes to him, and the elders of Israel come, and they say, all right, king, very respectfully, your dad was super hard on us. He put a load that we could barely handle in taxation and 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 and, and forced labor, and, and we're just asking you, we're in such a great state as a country right now, we're just asking you, would you let up a bit, all right? Rehoboam says, give me three days to think about it. And so during those three days, he goes to the old men, his dad's advisors, and, and, and talks to the old men. The old men say, you know what? If you'll listen to these people, if, if you'll let, let up a little bit, they'll be yours for life. They will serve you and will we'll prosper. He says, okay, put a pin in that, all right? He goes to the young guys. These are his college buddies. These are the guys, that, his peers. And, and he says, all right, this is what, what they told me. What do you guys think? And the young guys say, what? I mean, who's the king here? You're the king. You, know, you, you can't start out like this. You, you can't start out with them making demands. You, you tell them that your little finger is thicker than your daddy's thigh. You tell them that, that your dad whipped them with whips. I'm going to whip you with scorpions. You put them in their place right away. Rehoboam's like, man, that sounds good. Man, thank you, guys. Thank you. He goes and he repeats that speech and he loses the kingdom. Ten tribes peel off and he can't get them back. And the kingdom of Israel is split for hundreds of years. Now, I don't even know that their counsel was that bad, but their counsel was seeing 100 yards ahead. Those old men, they had, they had been through David and Solomon's reign. They, had, they, had lived, they saw things that the young guys did not see. And Solomon suffered for that. So obstacle number one is there's this gravitational pull to be with people just like you. And by the way, older people are maybe the worst at this. 
They actually build places in Florida where you can't go in unless you're old. I don't know how they check that either. Like, I haven't been to those places, but I don't know how you prove you're old to get in, you know? Uh, I don't know. Number two, the obstacle of the empty nest and the American dream. Um, I've been watching this for 24 years, okay? This is not new. It, it, tw- for all 24 years, I, I've seen it at Lincoln, okay? Um, here's what happens. Um, you're very involved in church. Uh, when your kids are little, kids are in the youth group. Um, all of a sudden, last kid leaves, last kid leaves the nest. And now your kids are kind of scattered all over the place, you know? And, and you have more money, normally. You have more money than you've ever had, and you probably have more time than you've ever had uh, in many cases. And kids are everywhere else, and so pretty soon you begin to live a very mobile life, okay? And, and, and I, I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying this is bad. I'm, I'm, I'm describing for you what I see. It, often in the American church, there is a gap. There, there's this gap of leadership of, of guys in their 50s and 60s. A lot of times this, this kind of comes back in their 70s and 80s. But, but there's a stepping out of ministry, basically to chase grandkids. And, chase, and, and I, my, my wife's in Washington, D.C. right now. I, like, I'm, not, I'm not telling you this is not real. I'm just telling you this is something the American church is going to have to deal with. Like this, this is not prevalent in other countries. Other countries, you, you, don't, you don't move away everywhere. You know, kids don't scatter everywhere. Everybody lives, a lot of times everybody lives in the same house. Like you're, you're with mom and dad till they die, you know? And, 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 and so like this is just a phenomenon of the American church is, is we have these great, incredible leaders, powerhouses in our church. They're doing children's ministry. They're doing youth ministry. They're doing team kids. They're doing Sunday school. And all of a sudden when they get really useful, they're gone. And they're not really gone they're just kind of, they're other places, right? And, and so may, may, maybe there's nothing we can do with that because of the mobility of our society. But if there is anything we can do about it, then we need to learn how to be this on the road. So that, that's all I'm saying. Like, like, what I'm saying is you can't give up this, all right? O- older men can't just say, well, you know, I got a kid in D.C., I got a kid in, Ty- in Taiwan, I got a kid in West- so I just can't be, you, know, you can't do that, okay? So if, 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 if we're gonna be gone, if we're gonna be on the road, if we're gonna check out of the ministries, then we need to learn how to be this on the road. Number three, making room at the table for the next generation of leaders. I call this the Winnie syndrome, okay? And I can do this because she's passed away. I wouldn't do this if she were here because I'd be afraid of her, but I can do it because she's passed away. And I can do it because she's with Jesus and she'd probably approve, okay? Winnie ran our kitchen for years and years and years and years. And uh, I loved her. She was like a grandma to our family, and uh, she treated us that way. We treated her that way. So whatever I say here, please know I've got a picture of her hanging in my office that my daughter drew of her. I hold her in the highest regard, okay? But one of the things I could not get through to her was pull in younger women. And, and she just couldn't do it. And, and she, she couldn't see the vision for that. And I think two reasons why is because you younger gals don't do it right, okay? So first of all, you don't do it right. Like, you spend too much money, you cut the pickles too thick, you know? You, I mean, like, you, you just don't do it right, you know? And so, like, that was, a, I mean, it was, a, it was an obstacle because you irritated her, you know? You came in there and you weren't doing it right, okay? And then the other obstacle was she felt like, if I let you guys in, then what will my place be? I can't tell you how many times I would press her on this, and she would, here's what she would say. Every time she would say this, well, honey, if you want me to quit, I will. I don't want you to quit. <laughs> That's the last thing I want. I'll, I want you to take a young gal 
who doesn't have a ministry in our church, but who's great at cooking or wants to be great at cooking. Maybe she doesn't know how to cook at all. Teach her how to cook. Help her love. You, you've, you've been a wife. You've been a mother. Help her. Man, it's just it's hard to get that vision to make room at the table for the next generation of leaders. We've got to recover this Paul-Timothy kind of relationship. There's got to be people who say, this is my son in the Lord. And then the final obstacle I see is the Caleb's in 2021 America tend to be really busy. I was talking to a guy the other day, and he's like, he, he was just frustrated. He was a younger guy, and he's like, where, where are the leaders? Where are the, where are the leaders in our church? He's like, where are those guys? And, which is funny because, honestly, Lincoln Avenue is packed full of leadership men. And, and so I, I, I said, well, I said, okay. And I named him five guys. Five guys who have shown themselves to be incredible spiritual leaders, load carers, load bearers. And I said, what's true of all five of those guys? You know the common denominator? All five of them probably work 70 to 80 hours a week. I mean, they're, they're just busy. Like, like, they're not goofing off. These dudes aren't watching Netflix at home. Like, like they're, they're workers. Again, I, I'm, 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 I'm telling you obstacles. I don't know the solution to that. But here's what I would say, guys. If that's, if, that's, if that's your life, you've got to figure out how to be a Paul in the middle of that. You've got to figure out how to be that at work then. If that's where you are, you've got to figure that out. You've got, you got to pull young guys in at work. Or you've got to figure out how to carve out time in your life to be that. I, 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 don't, I, you're, I really don't have the answers for these culture obstacles. But, but here's, here's what I, I would leave you with. This is not optional for us to be a healthy New Testament church who's impacting the kingdom of God. We need older men who are investing in younger men. We need older women who are investing in younger women. We, we need to figure that out. We need to do it. And, and, and listen, we're going to have to have people who are willing for it to fail. And I, I should have put that as another obstacle, but... Man, I, I, sometimes uh, it, it's frustrating because people will try this, and, and it's not smooth. And and I, I just want to I want to pull my hair out. Obviously, I've done some of that. Um, it's not gonna be smooth, you know. Jesus had twelve disciples. One of them he peeled off and was betrayed him. Paul had a guy named Demas, who he invested in heaven, lived with the guy, brought him into ministry, traveled with him. He peeled off. Like, like if, if, you're, if you're looking for 100% success here, you're looking for something that doesn't exist in the New Testament. That, that doesn't mean we don't try. We don't seek this out. Young guys. Maybe the old guys aren't going to do a good job. You got to go after them. I, I have never been afraid to do this. I told you a couple weeks ago, a guy named Kenny Qualls, a guy named Matt Krebs, man, I, I, I sought them. Kenny Qualls, literally, I, I, it was, I told you the story of religious education class, and he, he behaved so honorably with Miss Mulberry. And after class, like, I, 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 I followed him. I tracked him down. Hey, my name's Jason. How are you? What's your story, you know? Where are you at? Hey, how can we hang out? You know, I've just been one of those guys. 
And I think you should be one of those guys. Um, pursue this in your life. Older men, be this, be the to be and also be the to teach. All right. Father, please help us. Please help us, God, to make disciples who will make disciples. Father, I pray that um, you would make us sound in faith and in love and in steadfastness. Father, I ask, God, that you would give grace um, to enable us to overcome obstacles. God, I pray that you would give grace, God, to enable us to cultivate relationships, uh, give us perseverance, give us a relentlessness in this, Father. God, I pray that many would be kept from sin, many would be kept from from falling, from failure, through the, the lifting up of their arms by others in the Lord. Father, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand?